Hello and welcome. This is Ron Cohen. I'm a tax partner at the firm of Greenstein, Rokoff, Olson & Company. And this is our annual year-end tax planning review with a few observations, personal observations of myself. All right, so first let's go through the um, caveats and infomercial. Then I'll have a bit of a political statement here, but not too much. And then we'll go through uh, a number of uh, Deloitte and two review items for year-end tax planning. Uh, so um, I'm here with uh, Greenstein Rogoff Olson and Company here in beautiful downtown Fremont, California. And I wake up every morning in the shadows of Mission Peak. This is my self-indulgent narcissistic time with you. And so we're just trying to have some entertainment and some fun, but hopefully there's some good tax information you get from my ramblings here. So take no reliance on what you hear in this podcast uh, in order to use anything we say, uh, unless you validate it yourself or with somebody else. You know, we'd have to be a client, sign an engagement letter, give us all the facts, let us read you the facts, sometimes write a memo. Uh, of course, we're just, like I say, just uh, bloviating a bit and uh, going through some stream of consciousness. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, plagiarism is okay in this format. You know, the Internal Revenue Code is about 1,600 pages, and it's uh, rumored that when you take into account all the activating regulations and court cases and things that really actually make the law and what you're supposed to do, it's something like 16,000 pages. And even then, you can add on additional interpretations, CPAs and lawyers and other tax professionals around the internet all day long writing really good articles, trying to show how smart they are, trying to attract clients. And it's all fair game to take whatever you can from anybody else. Uh, we do try to come up with some of our own original ideas, but there's the, you're just trying to get to the right answer in terms of minimizing your client's tax liability. So there is no rules of plagiarism, although we do try to give credit when we, uh, when we read something or use something uh, from someone else. Our, our uh, firm does about uh, 1,300, 1,400 tax returns of all types, everything from little old grandmas up to big multinational corporations and their tax uh, and their executives. Uh, we also do planning, of course, along the way. And our firm also has a specialty in large family offices for very well-off clients with far-flung investments all around the world. I am no cheerleader for the tax system, as you are going to hear. I think uh, this country has fallen into a very overwhelming technocratic administrative state, which doesn't have to be that way. And I'll save some more comments on that coming up here. That said, we always try to get an A-plus on every tax return and tax planning and any advice we give. An A-plus, not an A-minus, not a B, not a C, no an A-plus. So the law is what it is. We may have disagreements with it, but we have to comply. The best tax audit is the one that never comes, and the best IRS person is the one you never meet. So uh, with many of the new laws coming out, there's a new approach where they add additional process, and it's now becoming that process is the new punishment. In fact, so you may find in a tax law there's a new benefit 
to be derived, but you have to fill out a 20-line form, give a DNA sample, and so forth in order to get the benefits of the new process to obtain those tax benefits is the new punishment. Our managing partner, Alan Olson, does a podcast called American Dreams, where he reviews with uh, friends and clients uh, their experience, entrepreneurial experience and success in life, and what are the types of habits and activities and goals those people tend to have. So that's always worth a listen. We're here at uh, www.groco.com. Our phone number is 510-797-8661, extension 237. Everything I'm saying is going to be down in the show notes, so don't feel you have to jump for a pencil. Um, we're, um, our, our main office is located 12 miles north of San Jose and 35 miles south of San Francisco on the East Bay here, again, in Fremont. California. Okay, so as I said, uh, no politics, but I'm going to get a little bit political. Hopefully, I don't have too much of a political taint. taint. More this is an observation of where things are. So uh, indulge me a bit, and then we'll get to our year-end tax idea ideas and year-end tax planning strategies and ideas. So here we are on December 12th, 2022. I always note that when uh, using anything in this podcast, because because uh, tax laws and ideas and strategies can change very quickly. So December 12, 2022. Again, I wake up every morning in the shadow of beautiful Mission Peak. Some mornings this time of year, there's puffy clouds and actually a little bit of snow on, on the top of the peak, about 2,500 feet. Always something to look at and on my way into my office. But more importantly, somehow we, we were born or immigrated into a society that imposes on you a number of silent partners, silent partners. That's the income tax, the sales tax, the property tax, the Social Security tax, Medicare tax, and even the gasoline excise tax. And I haven't named all of them by far. No way. That gasoline excise tax is 18 cents a gallon. And all those silent partners, one way or the, or the other, take about 30% or more, for some of us, a lot more, of everything you will ever earn. And you were born into that or immigrated into it. And of course, there's great value in many of the things the taxes collected go to. We could talk about infrastructure, social programs, environmental programs, the military, depending on your point of view. I'm not taking a point of view. I'm just saying that's where the money goes. My point is, we all have effectively no choice. We get to vote, but effectively, in the way laws are made and decided and written, we have no choice. Did you know in the last two years, when the budget bills come up in the Congress, now these budget bills are something like $4.5 trillion worth of budget for the federal government. There have been no committee hearings. It used to be the budget would be proposed, there'd be 15 drafts, there'd be people want to make amendments, it goes around into the meat grinder, what I call the sausage machine, and, uh, and debate, debate in these committees. I think this is good, this is bad, here's the history, here's why this makes no sense, here's why this makes a lot of sense. There have been no committee hearings on the uh, deliberations before the federal budget was passed. It just rammed through. 
and the uh, senators and congressmen get a copy of it. Literally 72 hours, I believe, is the rule before they have to vote. Now, these are three, 4,000-page documents of highly technical jargon. So you get where a small number of people are making these choices, and, and you, working your job, living your life, literally have no choice in the matter. We're, we're a republic, so you do effectively through your representatives and senators, but uh, effectively, no, nobody cares what you think. Your first job triggers the realization that uh, there's been a theft of some of your personal liberty, our founding fathers and others throughout the, the, the decades have fought and died for because you effectively have no influence on how much they take in withholding and what, how the money is spent. Thomas Jefferson talked back in the founding of our country uh, about freedom of religion. I know for a fact I've been in Germany on your payroll, W-2, your pay stubs, they take out a church tax. You have to designate which church should get some money, and they take it right out of your pay. Well, we don't do that here because, in, in part, Thomas Jefferson said that was an abomination. The state and the taxing authorities should not get involved in religion, one, and two, in any uh, taking of money from you over which you have no choice. And that stuck for many, many years, as you'll hear as I go on. You came to first understand that the withholding taxes, when you first got your first pay stub, I, I see this with young people all the time. They get their first pay stub or their first W-2 or they're going to file their first tax return. These are the children of my other clients. And, they, and they're shocked. They're shocked. What is all this about? Why, why did I earn this gross number, but I get this net number? Uh, these, these people who get to take money from me, they didn't work. I did the work. And they experience this deep, profound sense of shock. And that's exactly the same shock that those who wrote the Magna Carta back in 1215, the year 1215, had. Because they wrote in the Magna Carta that the king couldn't just come along and steal too much of your harvest in exchange for protection. It's the same thing just centuries and centuries later. And as People experience all over the world again and again the same kind of shock once they enter the system and actually start paying either income taxes or Social Security taxes or health insurance taxes or in some countries, church taxes. Who decided this? And why? where did I sign up for it? Well, you didn't. Death and taxes, the two th sure things in life. As you get older, you realize annually, cumulatively, on an average, over four months of the year of your personal fleeting human life force, which is really the only thing any of us ever own, is spent paying your taxes in a 12-month period to those shadowy, silent partners. That's really all we own, the ability to get up in the morning and do something or don't do something or fix something or not fix something or love somebody. That's all we own. Everything else is rented or bought for a period of time and then it goes to someone else. So that life force is taken up from us because we have to get up in the morning and do certain things in a certain way for four months of the year, basically to pay our taxes. For some of us, it's, it's almost, uh, almost five months entire of the year. Um, so it's no small matter to impose a tax on a population. It must be considered carefully 
History is rife with governments that routinely impoverished their populations with taxes and then took them to brutal, brutal war. In fact, putting aside political subterfuge, most wars in history were primarily about who gets to impose tax and in what amount on whom. Go back, read some history. It's all about taxes. This is very, very personal stuff because it's how you spend your life and where your, the, the, the benefits of your labor go. Make no mistake, besides those silent partners I talked about above, there's another one called inflation. Without question, inflation is a further tax. But it's not even organized. It's more like a flamethrower. Ask any elderly person. No one in their right mind would vote for inflation. You could increase the money supply without inflation to provide market liquidity in an orderly manner. We know how to do that on Excel spreadsheets and supercomputers. You don't need inflation to keep liquidity in the marketplace. It is a stealth confiscation of wealth, and for many, the confiscation of any hope of a normal middle-class life. Inflation is like Moby Dick pulling the whole ship underwater. It is the height of economic gaslighting to think those in Washington, D.C., have this under control at all. Inflation is the height of political hypocrisy. It's very often the very wealthy do really well with inflation because they have unearned increases in the value of their already large asset base. Not so for the common working men and women. Most of us are too busy just trying to make a living and take care of ourselves and our children and our parents to even consider objecting to taxes. Thank you for allowing me to do a little bit of this here. I am in no way suggesting not filing or paying your taxes. My comments here are, in this area, political only. In the U.S. prior to the year 1913, before the ratification of the 16th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the income tax were temporary, only when wars came about, and mostly non-existent. Really, from 1776 to 1913, most people paid absolutely no federal income tax. In fact, when there was an income tax, it largely was imposed on the very well-off. And even after 1913, for many years, the, the common person paid a few small bits of tax and the rich carried most of the burden until some of the wars kicked in. Those were truly different times. You decide whether it's better or worse. Now, post-World -war, War II, it's impossible to have no income tax, and I'm not suggesting we should, as we need to feed the large bureaucratic, technocratic, administrative state for good, there's some good and bad, that's been imposed on us indirectly. We voted for all of it. We voted in favor of it, so it is what it is. On top of all of the taxation, the federal government borrows 25% or more, in some years, a lot more of what it's needed to run the country. Piling up on us and our descendants. State governments have to balance their budgets so they offload massive expenses to the federal government that can seemingly borrow endless funds and its Federal Reserve Bank that can create money from nothing. In the trillions. In 2009, during the Great Recession, 
Uh, they, they, they sent out trillions of dollars, as I'll mention in a minute. And even recently, as, as close as uh, the beginning of this year, 2022, they were adding over $80 billion a month of new fresh money. They would literally go into the bond markets, buy treasury bonds from real people, real organizations, real pension plans in exchange for money. Where'd the money come from? They just created it on a computer, thin air. At the order of one person, the Federal Reserve Bank Chairman, and with the rubber stamp of the Open Market Committee under the Federal Reserve Act, that chairman, by law, can intrinsically leverage off all the future taxation of the U.S. taxpayers into eternity to pay off whatever they do. It's financial madness, and strongly politically here, it is completely unconstitutional. The Federal Reserve Act of 1913 is unconstitutional. And the 14th article of that act that gives the Federal Reserve chairman the power at a flip, uh, at a flick, of a click of a button on his computer to create trillions of dollars is completely unconstitutional. All money making, raising power is vested in the Congress, but they've abdicated it to the Federal Reserve. On one day in 2009, Fed Chair Ben Bernanke at that time created $2.2 trillion in one day of loans to banks and later to foreign central banks. He got it all repaid, but that is truly cosmic power and nothing the founders of the Constitution or anyone with common sense would think should be vested in one person or one small group of people at the Federal Reserve. And the reason they can do it is because you and me, by paying our taxes, backed them up. That was in addition to various write-out bailouts that Congress provided, largely borrowed from other countries with treasury bonds. There's various YouTubes on this. You can listen to Senator Sanders, a strong, progressive senator, object directly to the Federal Reserve Chairman that basically he's making up powers as he goes along. Just like credit default swaps, there's an inherent assumption that the parties involved won't and can't fail, that they're all money good, as they say, good as gold. There's an assumption that so sovereign central banks can't and won't fail. That assumption is invalid. If you look back in even a thousand years of history and more, if you go back further, central banks are what were the central banks, the king or the king's treasury, whatever, fail all the time. The money system is a fantasy, and the common man and woman, taxpayer, are the people who are relied upon to back it up. Not gold, not silver. Those, all, if you take all the gold and silver in the world, they're a pittance compared to the national debts of the Western democracies. Not even productivity, you would think, would be the 8,000-pound gorilla. Well, we can, we can create per currency and debt because we are so productive. No, no, the debts of governments and corporations and states far, far, far outweigh any of those productive assets. Basically, it's you and me, your personal noble deed of paying your taxes is all that keeps this big wheel turning. The federal government only has a few weeks of spare cash at any point in time. If the payroll tax stops coming in, everything, social security, military pay, and much more it all freezes in a few weeks, and then other things would freeze. The commercial banks should freeze. 
and on and on and on. The founders saw the continental dollar become worthless in a few years due to the same financial shenanigans we are doing now. However, we are doing them on a much bigger basis and now with computers. The soldiers trapped at Valley Forge through the cold winter used their wages paid in continental dollars as toilet paper. That currency being so worthless because it had been inflated into worthlessness. And yet we're doing the same thing again. We're doing it again on a grander scale. So between the silent partners I first mentioned, inflation and the Fed, making money from nothing, that's the Federal Reserve, many people, including the government's own accountability office annually, puts out a report saying the system, quote, is not sustainable. That's the government's own main accounting division. Comes out, writes a report, tells how the government did all the money in, all the money out, how things are going, whether they're audited well, and then adds in there, by the way, this whole system is not sustainable. The same was true under President Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden. Each year, the way the G each year the GIO report says the system is simply not sustainable. But you don't see that much in the news, do you? George Washington said one generation should not pass on the debts to the next. On this, we have colossally failed. Rather, we are just burning money on things with little future value. A little political there. We can all debate what's value. But boy, this bugs me. Does it bug you? Hug your children. Okay, so we'll move on here. Just wanted to give you my context as we come to a year end. This whole tax system and all these tax returns are supposed to keep the boat afloat, reconcile that everybody's being treated fairly. And unfortunately, it's not true. It's just not true. Always do a great tax return. Try to get an A+, plus, but the system is not sustainable. You'll note that my comments don't reveal what political politicians I'm for or against. My target is the failing taxation system and the monetary system. Okay, well, with that in mind, we go back and say, well, let's just be good accountants. And uh, thank you for indulging me in that little sermon. Okay, so let's go on to tax planning. Again, a hat tip to Deloitte and Touche. As I've said many times, they have a whole staff of reporters and CPAs and LLMs and attorneys and all sorts of folks who are crawling around Congress. And uh, they put out a good summary. Uh, uh, and also uh, CCH does a year-end summary, which I'm basically going to read in large part because they do this every year and comes out with a great review and I can't beat it. So let's just go through it. Planning strategies and techniques available through the end of 2022. COVID's calmed down a little bit. A lot of things are back to normal. A lot of things are not. And uh, given it's December 12th, 2022, we just take uh, the world as we see it right now. And let's go to first some of the sausage machines, some of the legislative uh, pronouncements out there, um, again, through the CCH review. When President Biden was campaigning in 2020, he promised to provide a huge increase in social spending with more robust health, education, and welfare pro programs meant to improve the quality of life for lower income and middle income voters. Part of those legislative promises were included in the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. Oh, 
Do I remember that one? All kinds of things. However, in conjunction with that legislation, Biden presented the Build Back Better plan, which called for infrastructure investment, green energy incentives, and permanent extension of the credits in the American Rescue Plan of 2021. Those programs were to be paid for with a tax increase on higher income taxpayers, with a specific promise that no one making less than 400000 would see a tax increase. Both ordinary income and capital gains rates were to be increased on the upper income folks. An increase in the corporate tax rate was also proposed, a significant one. While the infrastructure proposals were rolled into the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act of 2021, the rest of the plan stalled out in the Senate and was seemingly dead. We reported that here at great length. However, an announcement of a surprise deal, this is with Senator Joe Manchin and Christia Cinnamon, Cinema, excuse me, Manchin of West Virginia, Cinema of Arizona, uh, in the summer of 2022, brought many of the provisions back to life. Gone were the corporate and individual tax rate increases, instead replaced by a new corporate alternative minimum tax, which is very complicated for profitable corporations. Many of the new provisions in the 2023, with 2023 effective dates, which makes year-end planning for 2022 essential, the remainder of 2022 could see additional legislation. Here we are, December 12th, so the days are running out. Much will depend on the outcome of the elections of November 8th of 2022, which just went by. Many of the provisions that were regularly extended for one or two years at a time, known as extenders, have ex expiration dates beyond 2022 due to various prior year legislative efforts. That is, they wanted to change the law, but not forever. So they put expiration dates on them. And then every year, Congress goes running around trying to decide what they will extend, keep going, rather than what they won't keep going. And that makes for a lot of um, uncertainty because it's better if they just pass a rule and keep it for 10, 15 years, but they're bouncing off the wall with extenders. Minimizing individual taxes. Okay. The key to any year-end tax planning strategy is to minimize tax. This is generally done by either reducing the amount of income received or increasing the amount of deductions. In recent years, the possibility of increased rates on higher incomes due to proposed legislation or changes in qualification for various stimulus proposals made the decision of deferral or acceleration highly dependent upon individual circumstances. Yes, yes, clients call me. What should I do? It depends. Let's go through it. However, as the end of 2022 approaches, these factors are not really in play anymore. That's because the rules have kind of stabilized and they're going to be the same in 2023, 2024 for the most part. And so instead, the impact of inflation, and further to my prior comments, makes deferral of income a likely winner for most individuals. In October, the IRS released the inflation-adjusted tax brackets for 2023, and they reflected an 8%, in my view, it's really 12%, an 8% inflation adjustment that has been hitting the U.S. economy. As, as an example of the increase in the brackets, the rates for married filing jointly in 2022 compared to 2023 are below, and we'll have this in the show notes. So, what they do is, is they make it so, well, they anticipate you're going to get a raise 
or you'll earn some more passive income. And so your income is going to go up, but just because my income goes up, my purchasing power has gone down. So why should I pay more taxes? Because more income pushed me up into an, the next tax bracket. So they make it so that the tax brackets are wider, have higher, higher uh, en entry and exit points, and therefore trying to ameliorate or make it so that you don't enter a higher tax bracket simply because you got a raise, because that raise didn't give you any more purchasing power, so you actually fell behind. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll relax, I'll relax. Here we go. So that's the first thing is, uh, is to uh, make sure that uh, there's some equity in um, raising the tax brackets, and they've done that. But my argument being, they did it using 8%, and I can go to various uh, very uh, authoritative economists who say that the real inflation rate is at least 12%. So you fell behind 4%, even with the IRS trying to do the best that it can. Okay, that's my personal opinion. Delaying and reducing gains, like taxes on ordinary income, taxes on capital gains also apply at different rates depending on the amount of taxable income. For 2022, just know that, you know, that there's, there's a few things. If you have some capital gains but very small other income, if you're elderly or just not working otherwise, you can fall into a big, wide zero tax rate on those capital gains. But if you're married filing jointly and you get over $83,000 of capital gains, then you jump into the 15% bracket. Then once you get over $517,000 of capital gains, you get into the 20% bracket. And please remember, there's the Affordable Care Act net investment income tax on most capital gains. There are, there are exceptions. That adds 3.8% to the uh, rates I just talked about. Oh, and my, what I'm about to say covers that again. For taxpayers who income tends to fluctuate from year to year, it would be wise to examine the impact of sales of investment items. For taxpayers who think they have, may have lower income in 2023, it would be smart to hold off on the sale of a capital item if the income is at or near the threshold for the next capital gain tax bracket. Again, going from 15% to 20% and out of the zero bracket um, uh, up to 83000 for married filing jointly. This type of consideration should not be limited to capital gains taxes. It should also take into account the NIIT, the net investment income tax, 3.8%, where you get the pleasure of paying everybody else's so, uh, health insurance under the Affordable Care Act because you happen to have a capital gain. And it also sadly applies to the sale of your house. If the gain, if you're married filing jointly, is more than 500000 which is easy in the Bay Area, you get to pay 3.8% um, uh, on that uh, excessive uh, uh, gain. Uh, and I know that is absolutely true because I did sell a house last year and I paid a ton of NIIT tax. Comment, the NIIT thresholds fall right in the middle of the 15% capital gain bracket. The taxpayer whom the NIIT applies because of the sale of capital, capital item would likely not be able to reduce their tax rate to zero, right? Because even if you fall into the George Bush zero tax rate, he's the one who got it passed, uh, uh, bracket, uh, when you have low other income and some capital gains up to about 83000 for married filing jointly, you're still going to pay the 3.8%. That's what that means. So you're not going to get to flat out zero. But taxpayers who, who is barely in the 20% bracket could the first sale to get into the 15% bracket in, a, in, a, in, a, you know, in the subsequent year. 
So timing is important. Generally, what we find is people really don't control the timing of these large capital gain transactions. Uh, they have to sell because of business differences or health changes or, or the fact that there's a buyer now, but the buyer may not be there later. But when you get to this time of year, you literally can talk between buyers and sellers and say, hey, you know, when my tax guys figured this all out, why don't you just wait till January 2nd to close this deal because it will save me X. Uh, because of some of these capital gains rules. That's real. And certainly someone who's doing a lot of stock trading where they have complete control over what they sell and why and what losses and gains. Uh, they don't control whether they have losses and gains, but they kind of know where they're at in the last couple of weeks of December. And so if you're right at the break point between 15% or 20% on the capital gain rate, you may say, hey, hey, let's let's hold off recognizing any more gains for a while. I'll, I'll sell some stuff next year instead of this year. Very, very good strategy. Maximizing deductions. For 2022, the inflation-adjusted standard deduction, that's the deduction you get for free. You don't have to spend any money. It's just given to you under the law. Amounts to $25,900 for joint filers, $19,400 for head of household, $12,950 for other filers. With the standard deduction amount so high, Couples with $10,000 limitation on the deduction for state and local income taxes, it is difficult for many taxpayers to claim enough deductions to make itemizing deductions beneficial. Not true. Not true, CCH. <laughs> uh, most of my clients have no problem qualifying for itemized deductions, and that uh, $10,000 limit on the state and local taxes is extremely painful, which was a whole podcast we did in the past. And always keep in mind, California passed through entity election. If you're in California, other states, many other states, almost all other states have adopted their own pass-through entity type election. Or uh, Arizona has a, a small business tax uh, uh, that's a whole different regime of taxation. They bring the rate from 5.5% to like 3% or 2.9%. Uh, all these things are meant to be looked at because the thought is, well, you can't deduct that state tax on your federal return because your total state income and property taxes are over $10,000. So us, the state, will give you a synthetic deduction by literally, it's not synthetic at all. It's a, a reduction of your taxes paid to the state. Well, that, that's good that the states can afford that. And again, lots of politics there, not going to get into the um, argument about it. So uh, if you are in, in the lane where you're, you're going in and out of whether you can, uh, 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 you know, use the standard deduction or take itemized deductions and have more than the standard deduction, there's a strategy of bunching those deductions, making a large charitable contribution uh, in a year where you also have other types of deductions where to get you over the standard deduction. Because otherwise, it's kind of wasted. The, the standard deduction you get for free, expend for expending nothing. Uh, you may want to bunch up your accumulated charitable contributions, medical expenses to the extent they're not limited, and any other kinds of itemized deductions to get you over that standard deduction amount uh, uh, by bunching them and not taking the same amount every year. Just uh, some normal planning. For example, a taxpayer may not have made any of his normal charitable contributions for 2021 and then made double the normal in 2022 in order to surpass the standard deduction. Well, that's useful thinking. Assumes, of course, that you have the money to make charitable contributions. You have charitable organizations you want to give to, 
But in putting all that aside, bunching can sometimes be a very valuable strategy. Again, the impact of inflation must be considered here. The standard deduction are much higher for 2023 as compared to 2022, with even with bunching, it might be difficult to surpass the 2023 amounts. We talked about inflation adjustments last week. It's like $1,000 more. Uh, we, we, your computer automatically knows it. We can look it up. Uh, but yes, uh, um, so the good news is the tax brackets go higher with inflation. So you don't automatically go into a higher tax bracket, even though your purchasing power has gone down. And then on the negative side is, uh, well, it's good that the standard deduction goes up, right? Because the vast majority of people take the standard deduction. All of my clients take the itemized deduction because they're, again, their real estate taxes and state income taxes uh, exceed the standard deduction. And uh, so uh, uh, it's almost irrelevant. Uh, I would say, again, for, I'm not trying to be, biased, but for most of our clients, uh, they do what they do and, and it's way above the standard deduction each and every year. So trying to game, whether you get in to getting a standard, uh, getting a, a, an itemized deduction above the standard deduction is of no interest to them because they're no, they're never below the, uh, standard deduction amount. They're always in excess of it. And then they're, uh, uh very upset about the $10,000 limit on state and local taxes, uh, right? So, um, again, don't want to get political. <laughs> and uh, so bunching can be very effective strategy, but it also has to be uh, effectively used and poten potentially planned out two or three years in advance, right? Most of us don't have the time, energy, mental capacity, uh, myself included, to, to do a lot of planning beyond what's right in front of them. And uh, but But know that the bunching strategy is 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 there always has been uh and uh will continue to be clean vehicles prior to the inflation reduction act of 2022 a fairly broad tax credit was available for taxpayers who purchased plug-in electric vehicles the credit could be as high as $7500 depending upon the battery capacity of the vehicle under the new clean vehicle credit the maximum credit is still $7,500, but the requirements for the vehicle to qualify for the credit have become much more stringent. While the new credit eliminates an old limitation based on the number of qualifying vehicles sold by a particular manufacturer, and here in Fremont, California, I'm about three miles from the uh, Tesla factory, and uh, they, they, Tesla made uh, more than the number of allowed uh, vehicles. So the new buyers couldn't get the $7,500 credit. Same thing for some Priuses and some other ones, um, uh, but that's per year. So it's, it's starting all over again. Uh, there will be new limitations based on the MSRP manufacturer sales uh, suggested uh, retail price of the vehicle. Additional requirements take effect for 2023. However, the rules applicable to the old credit can be applied to new vehicles purchased in 2022, except that the vehicle's final assembly must be in North America, even if applying the old law. That includes Mexico and Canada. Now, uh, um, um, I, will, I won't state the source of where <laughs> I was tipped off to this issue, but uh, there was a huge political discussion 
uh, because the first set of these rules came out to be that the car had to be built in the continental United States, the 50 states and territories. Uh, after immense lobbying efforts by Mexico and Canada, that was extended to include Mexico and Canada, much to the regret of, of a number of, of folks, right? Uh, the, uh, certainly even the unions came forward and said, well, you know, uh, uh, we're unionized in the continental U.S. We're not unionized in Mexico. They are unionized in Canada. But the point being, you know, why should this manufacturing activity go outside of the continental United States and, and be expanded where you're getting a tax credit on your return and the economic benefit of having the manufacturing facilities going into Mexico and Canada? That would seem to be uh, 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 almost giving another country a benefit. Well, some will say, so what? That's great. We're all in this together. Others would say, no, 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 until the Mexican treasury and the canadian tax treasury start sharing with the u.s treasury uh we shouldn't do things like that um those are two sides of the argument i'll leave it to you but that was an enormous political debate and the version of the bill that said it can be in north america which includes mexico and canada won out and was passed and was signed by the president very few vehicles qualify under the final assembly requirements so taxpayers should speak to a tax professional before relying on the uh, re relying on the expected tax credit when they're buying the car, right? Oh, okay, this is a more expensive car, but it's okay, I'll get this credit. Well, you better be really sure you get the credit. And I often get phone calls from people who are sitting in car dealerships trying to do this ju just that because the, the poor car salesmen, they're saying, well, our people tell us this works and this will go this way in your taxes, but we're telling you right now here at the Toyota dealer, for example, just pulling a name out of the air, that, that we at the Toyota dealer are not your tax uh, preparer or advisor, and uh, you should uh, make sure you think you're going to get the credit if you're betting on it, if you really need the credit, uh, if you're relying on it or, or just simply want it, pick up the phone and call your friendly tax preparer to confirm that this model in this year uh, with this type of battery manufacturing qualifies the credit. So I do often get calls um, literally by people sitting across from the salesman at one of those little tables that they sit you at at the dealership. Taxpayers considering the purchase of previously owned clean vehicles may want to wait till 2023 to, purchase, to make the purchase if they would qualify for the credits because prior to 2023, buying a used car does not qualify for the, for the credit after uh, 2023 and thereafter. Uh, if you meet all the other requirements, a used car does qualify. Big change. Student loan forgiveness. On August 24, 2022, President Biden announced up to a forgiveness of $20,000 of student loan debt for qualifying borrowers. Applications are now open for borrowers to apply for the forgiveness. Uh, um, uh, while not strictly a tax issue, the application process is time-sensitive and under the provisions of the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, any discharge of student loan debt before 2026, here it is, here's the punchline, is excluded from income. Generally, when someone forgives you a debt, it can 
uh, outside of a bankruptcy or a technical insolvency, long story, can't get into all the would-be income. In fact, you might get a 1099 from the uh, lender. Uh, uh, however, this whole thing's up in the air because recently there have been court cases that have stalled the whole process. I hear they're no longer taking applications because an appeals court case came through and said that uh, the President Biden's executive order, not taking sides, this is what the ruling said, executive order was unconstitutional, doesn't have the authority to, uh, again, Congress has the power under the Constitution to uh, forgive things, to spend things, to tax things. And the executive order went beyond the normal authority of an executive order, they say, in this court ruling. So this is kind of stalled out. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, but right now, it's I hear, again, they're not taking applications until the um, case percolates its way up to the Supreme Court, I would assume, of the United States and gets a final uh, adjudication so we know uh, whether it's on or off. Other year-end strategies, a number of traditional year-end strategies may imply. These include maximizing education credits. Oh, I hate this issue. We, clients call me and they say, oh, I've read about this credit and this deduction for tuition. Like, yes, yes, I'm sorry, but you make $2 million a year. You're not getting any. They all phase out. Bill Clinton made sure all those benefits phase out and the, and the uh, uh, later amendments to those rules still keep the phase-out rules for I think it's at like five hundred thousand or so. Uh, you're out. There's there's uh, you're, there's no hope. So uh, for any of those deductions. So yes, for people below that level, sure. Um, uh, make sure you claim those education educational credits. I do have a number of middle to lower end uh, clients. I'm I'm no snob. We do all kinds of clients here, and uh, often uh, the 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 college credits on the parents' return who paid for the tuition can be enormous and very helpful. Increased 401k contributions, adjusted gross income can be reduced if individuals increase the amount of their 401k contribution. That's always the case. You want to uh, you want to maximize your 401k. However, however, I'm hearing the financial planners say that maybe you don't want to do that. And again, this is beyond taxes, but the the fear is that tax rates may actually be higher in the future because of all this debt and all these problems we're going to have. And if, if the tax rates will be significantly higher, maybe you want to earn the money, pay your taxes on it now and have it out. You're out. You don't have a deal, a contract with the IRS to later pay income taxes on distributions of 401ks. Uh, you leave your job, you take your 401k, you roll it over into an IRA. Then you have your mandatory distributions out of the IRA once you're over like 70 and a half, 70. 70, I think it went up a little bit. Uh, and uh, uh, and they, they push it out of the tax-deferred account into your taxable account, or you spend it, whatever. But you have to pay tax on it at the current tax rate at that time. Many financial advisors are fearful that that rate will uh, be so high that it's going to be better to just pay taxes on it now and, um, and, and have the money outside of a 401k plan. I'm still putting money into 401k. My wife has a 403b. She's a teacher. I'm still putting money into that. I'm I'm betting it's not going to get that bad, but it could. It could that you could, you know, when you do the spreadsheet and the break-even point and all the, the calculations over 30 years, and you go, my goodness, I would have been better just paying taxes on the front end. I sure hope uh, this society doesn't get there.
Okay, IRA contributions. Individuals eligible to take IRA contributions can take deductions. In certain cases, if their income is low enough, and sometimes you put it in there, even if your income is not low enough, you don't get a deduction, but you get a deferral of the income earned on that um, on those uh, investments. There's always the Roth. Uh, if your income fits certain levels, uh, I have an article we'll put in the show notes. The show notes. There's Roth. And there's a thing called a backdoor IRA, where you put the money in as a traditional IRA, and then you do a uh, conversion into a Roth. You got to keep it in there five years, and magically the money becomes tax-free when you later later take it out. Backdoor uh, Roth IRA conversions. And uh, if you're doing a conversion, you want to do it before the end of the year, right? You can't, like IRAs, you, you can make a contribution up until April 15th of 2023. And it applies to be a contribution for 2022, but you can't do that with a Roth conversion. If you want to do a Roth conversion on something you've already put into an IRA as a traditional IRA, you have to do the conversion by the end of this year, or it could be a conversion next year. Now, the point is sometimes people have, have spiky, you know, up and down income. They have a bad year and the income's low and you say, gee, I, I, I'm going to be such low income. This might be the year to do my Roth. Uh, a backdoor conversion because my ordinary income bracket is going to be lower. That's a really good thought. That's a very, very good thought. Uh, uh, so, but you can't wait till next April to do the conversion and then say it's a 2022 transaction. Also, uh, CCH here warns that, you know, anytime you monkey with your taxable income, you may end up losing some money in child tax credits that you would otherwise uh, uh, um, um, a qualify for because now because of the Roth conversion, your income went up um, and and so forth. So uh, these things are in the show notes. Roth conversions, think through it, get some good advice before you pull the trigger and, and so forth. Okay. Teacher deductions, like my wife, right? Uh, we can deduct $300 for things like books, supplies, computer equipment, as well as personal protective equipment, disinfectants, and other supplies used to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And they should maximize that deduction if you are a teacher. I know teachers, God bless them. They, they will spend money out of their own pocket on their students. And uh, it's good that at least to some extent, there's a tax deduction uh, in the law for that. Okay, moving on here uh, to year-end strategies. The corporate AMT, this is for pretty big corporations that are profitable. The Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 resurrected the corporate alternative minimum tax. We went through years with no, no corporate alternative minimum tax. It was ruled out under the Tax Jobs, uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act under Tr President Trump's administration. Uh, but they're bringing it back, bringing back something bad. But okay, you know, um, it's all a matter of opinion. To some, it's good because hopefully it will raise taxes to fund other great things the government could do for, for the taxpayers. Effective for years beginning 2022, the new corporate AMT rate is 15% uh, percent of the corporation's adjusted financial statement income. Oh, such a number crunch. Get out your calculator and your Excel spreadsheet to come up with your adjusted financial statement income. Very difficult. For the years uh, reduced by the corporate AMT foreign tax credit. Another mental hernia <laughs> to get through your AMT foreign tax credits. 
The tax applies uh, to foreign corporations with an average annual adjusted financial statement income in excess of one b -b 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 billion billion for the three prior tax years. So uh, lots of words there, but if you aren't in the billion, over a billion uh, of, of uh, taxable income, not, not sales, taxable income, you may be out. This th threshold is reduced to 100 million in the case of certain foreign parented corporations. Really technical reason for that. I won't get into certain exceptions also apply to the determination of an applicable for corporation where there is a change of ownership or a consistent reduction in income. Again, if, if you're over a billion dollars, you probably have a number of tax people in your tax department and a big uh, national firm and a few tax attorneys, uh, you know, grind through the number crunch on this corporate EMT. Make sure you understand where you are. Corporations adjusted financial income is the amount of net income or loss the corporation reports on its applicable financial statement for the purposes of determining of determining when to include income for tax purposes. That amount is adjusted for various purposes, including certain adjustments in the case of consolidated returns or certain foreign income. I get really complex stuff uh, and we'll just move on. Now, uh, something that has a more broader impact depreciation and expenses. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act provided very generous depreciation and expensing limitations. When I first started way back in the ice age, when I first started, we had to have all these spreadsheets. And, and, and when I first started, it was by hand where you would have depreciation because you would buy an asset, a piece of equipment to make it simple, right? And it would be depreciated over a certain life. And you had to keep track of how much you started with, how much you took each year, what the remaining uh, adjusted basis was, what the salvage value was, lots and lots and lots of math. Well, through uh, President Reagan's administration and he had through the Democratic administration, everybody really caught on to the idea that this is not a great thing. What we want is we want to let, bi let businesses pretty much deduct 100% of what they spend on productive equipment placed in service in the first year they're placed in service. Just get on with it. Just let them deduct it all because all these spreadsheets of how much over 15 years and what's the adjusted basis and uh, what's the salvage value, complete waste of time. And uh, we want to give incentives for people to and companies to be more productive. So there's an expensing, has an investment limitation of 2.7 million for 2022 with a dollar limitation of 1 million $80,000. This said uh, the famous uh, code section 179. So, so again, <laughs> I remember during the Reagan administration, you, it was a big deal. You could take $25,000, 25000 of new equipment or write it off all at once. In fact, I'm wrong. I think it first started at five or 10000 then made its way up to twenty five. Well, now it's $1,080,000. And that's if, uh, if you don't have total investments of more than 2.7 million. If you have total investments of more than 2.7, you start to lose that uh, $1,080,000 limitation. Really, it's not too complicated. Computers figure it out. Uh, but, but as we go into year end, this is a very important issue because a number of business owners will be thinking, gee, I'd really like to buy that piece of equipment. If I buy it now on December 13th, coming up tomorrow, you know, can I write it all off? And you want to make sure 
that uh, you understand whether you can or not. Research and development expenses. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act required that any research and development cost incurred after 2021 would have to be amortized rapidly over five years rather than deducted all in the year incurred. Now, this was a big change because uh, for accounting purposes and for tax purposes for decades, as far as I can remember, and I started doing this stuff in the late 70s, you could write off all your research um, if for accounting purposes and for tax purposes in the year incurred. There's also a research and development tax credit of 20% of wages and supplies and other items way beyond this little discussion here. But in terms of getting, so you get both a deduction and a credit in many cases. There's a little bit of an offset, which I will get into. Uh, but but uh, the Trump administration came along and said, you know, that's too good. That's too good. We're going to make you treat research and development cost as an asset. And uh, we're not going to let you 179 it. We're not going to let you take it all in one year, either as 179 or some kind of bonus to preach. We're going to make you spread it out over five years. So that'll be a little bit of a shocker to a lot of companies. Uh, and there's been great pushback from lobbying efforts here in the Bay Area, especially uh, with the high technology saying, no, no, we liked it. We liked it the old way. Please leave it. Go back, go back. But the way these things come, come about is, you know, they're scoring these tax bills. How much is this tax bill going to cost? And when this TCJ went through, this was a revenue raiser, right? We won't let you take all your deduction in one year. We'll make you spread it over five years. Oh, that's going to raise revenue for the government. And then they could go and reduce something else. Or uh, so this was a, a good guy from the government uh, to re to make it back the way it was would be a bad guy, and um, all those things get added up. And I ranted at long length about none of that really matters because all their estimates are wrong. I've been watching this for thirty years. They say something is going to cost the taxpayers a hundred million dollars. It ends up costing five hundred two. 500 million, uh, a billion dollars. All the congressional estimates are always, always wrong. And they're never wrong in favor of the government. Oh, this, this wasn't as bad as we thought. Or this raised more revenue than we thought. No, no, no. They're always the government's out and out and out. Uh, and that just adds to the deficit and gets uh, financed through treasury bonds, blah, blah, blah. I won't uh, bore you with that. Clean commercial vehicles. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act in 2022 also, well, we already talked about that, so I'm not going to uh, rant about uh, uh, EVs anymore. Um, and uh, now, uh, one thing we've seen is, you know, the health savings accounts plans. You can, when the family uh, put in a health savings account, $7,300. If it's just you, $3,650. You put the money in. You meet all the rules. Uh, you get a tax deduction the year you put it in or your employer puts it in for you and you don't have to include it in income. And, uh, but you're not sick. You feel pretty good. You're not going to the doctor. And uh, like it's kind of turned into like a super IRA uh, because you, you put in 7,300 and uh, if the stars align and nobody's too sick and you're not draining it, uh, there's no need to take the money out in this year or the next year or the year thereafter. So we're hearing cases where people have built up hundreds of thousands of dollars in these HSAs, health savings accounts. Uh, the investment guys come in and say, hey, uh, uh, let me give you a choice of mutual funds that you could invest your HSA funds in. 
And then when you do get old and you do start to have to drawing for the funds and we all end up dead in the end, right? And there's a period of time where if you're not fully covered uh, by insurance, you'll, you'll end up pulling money out of these things. Uh, so so there, it's a tax deferral mechanism, HSA, and it's not really what it was intended for, but um, lots of folks are turning it into one. Um, um, once they've filled up their 401ks, they filled up their IRAs, uh, they've done everything else they can do on a tax-deferred basis, but they fill up an H a HSA, um, something to look into. Now, I should answer the question, what if you die and haven't spent it? I do not believe, uh, so check me because I haven't looked it up. I do not believe that money goes to your heirs. It may go to your spouse, but it doesn't go to your heirs. So uh, it could be a use it or lose it. I'll, I'll talk about that again next week. Okay, so uh, we talked about backdoor IRAs, which are very important. Talked about HSAs. Um, California, uh, we talked about the pass-through entity tax elections, which are a way to fight back against the, the $10,000 state and local tax limitation. They call it SALT, state and local tax limitation on the itemized deduction. Make sure you're looking uh, at, uh, in most states, you had to make an election already uh, either back in June or in August. I believe New York is August. Uh, um, you know, uh, So there's things to look at as these states try to circumvent the SALT limitation, political, whether you think that's good or bad, but it's there. And since it's there, it's something for everyone to look at. Okay, so thank you. I've rambled on for far too long. Uh, um, if you have any questions, uh, want to do any tax planning for year end, please give us a call. And I appreciate your attention. This is Ron Cohen with Greenstein Rogoff Olson and Company. This is our year-end tax planning podcast, and I hope you enjoyed it. See you next week. <music>